0: Hello, this is Chris Blasio, one of the hosts of the Greatest Games Podcast. If you're enjoying this content, please tell a friend and encourage them to like, listen, and subscribe.
1: Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm
0: joined by my co-host, Chris Blasio. Thank you, Brian. Pleasure to be here, as always, on the Greatest Games Podcast. The chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest game. Again, it can be their time as a high school coach, an AAU coach, a college coach. We haven't had any pro coaches yet, though. But just whatever game they consider to be their greatest game.
1: We are efforting that, Chris Blasio. And I tell you what, I don't know if it's an inferiority complex for me, but I'm really excited that we're going to this portion of the United States an area that you said in pre-show chatting, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ramp it up, you don't know much about. I, I just tell you what, I feel like I'm on a level playing field here with you, Chris DeBlasio. We're going to Angola, Indiana, uh, the northern part of Indiana, just below the border of Michigan, to Trine University, the head men's basketball coach at Trine University, Brooks Miller. Welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast.
2: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. It's really, uh, really, really happy to be here. Yeah, we we got a we got a great
0: lesson in uh northeast Indiana geography before this uh before this podcast from coach. So we thank him for that. <laughs> Tell us about all the interstates and places you can get to from Angola, Indiana. And I'm not sure
1: uh, they're just fever, feverishly just googling away, trying to figure out more and more. Because I know if anybody knows <laughs> anything know. about this show, Chris Blasio will ask me. Some sort of trivia question that I will miss eventually, but anyway, Brooks, maybe I can follow, call call a friend here. Maybe you can help me out with
0: this one that you'll ask me eventually. <laughs> Let's see what we can do. Well, Coach, it looks like right in our backyard we have uh, Fox Lake. Is that a nice place to go to? Like I said, I'm just Googling stuff here. Well,
2: here's the kicker to this place. It, it's When I grew up, like I said, I grew up on a pig farm. I was telling you that earlier. And the only thing I ever wanted to do, the best weekend of the year, was when my buddies would invite me out to their lake house. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. So the only thing I ever wanted in my life was a pontoon boat, and a bar in my basement. So I have, uh, right now we have a, a tri pontoon boat. Uh, we live on Crooked Lake. There are a hundred lakes supposedly in this county, but there's like 15 to 20 all sports lakes. So it is a big time recreational area. Uh, it's it's a hell of a place to live, especially when you grew up the way I grew up, which was a great way to grow up. But uh, there's just a lot of different things to do. And uh, I'm saving the bar from when we win a national championship. Uh, so, I, I got big plans for that, but I got to keep that going. So, those two things that I wanted to accomplish, we, we got the pontoon boat.
0: Well, now I'm definitely left out because I'm the only person on this podcast
2: right now that doesn't live on a freaking lake.
1: That's right. And doesn't have a drive There you go. Wow. Oh,
2: there's some great fishing up here. Uh, you know, I don't think our bass get quite as big as your guys's do down there, but we got Northern Pike, Walleye. We got a lot of different things to go to, especially with the Great Lakes within two hours. You can get yeah. there. Uh, Lake Huron, Lake Erie, and Lake Michigan, and uh, if you like to fish like I do, it's a it's, it's a nice place to be.
1: Uh, I tell you, if you if you need the bar, you need the basement hangout room. You can go to Episode Six, Brett Carey at Indiana State, and that we mentioned in pre-show as well. He's got one of the all-time greatest setups down in Terre Haute, Indiana, in his basement. Unbelievable <laughs> setup. So got to try to. I tell you what, I know him well enough to know. That he might be able to work out a trade, you might be able to host a party or whatever yeah. down in his basement, as long as he can use the Tritone one weekend.
2: Oh, I would love that. He's a good guy. We, we would have to get together.
0: Well, I like I like how you're uh, you're making deals for other people, Brian. I like that. That's that's impressive. He just invited some random guy to Brett's house, but that's nice. That's a
2: connector.
1: <laughs> that's a connector
0: uh coach you talk a little bit about people's journeys why don't you take us through uh your journey in basketball and, and how you got to where you are today there in trine
2: university well it's uh it's been pretty interesting i, I tell some people i kind of joke about it i the only thing i ever wanted to do is was, was like look, look what we talked about be a part of something special and uh i started in a small high school rural high school um we didn't have a stoplight or mcdonald's or anything like that in our uh, in our school district and, and then was able to parlay that into a walk-on opportunity at the University of Toledo. Uh, had a great year there. Uh, really enjoyed playing for Stan Joplin, incredible coach. Uh, we had a couple guys that made, actually made some NBA rosters, not very long, but they were in the NBA. And then I ended up transferring to Hillsdale College, which was a Division II, um, and had a great experience there. Played for a guy named Ed Dalma, who won a national championship. Uh, at Calvin College at one time, uh, had an opportunity to work for him for three years, which I never thought I would do that. And nor did I think he or did he think I would ever work for him after the, you know, playing me playing for him. And and but the things you learned and the things you appreciate after you get out of the uniform uh, from your coaches, I think is really remarkable. So I was able to work for him for three years. And, and when he retired, uh, I had an opportunity to uh, be a graduate assistant. Uh, he got me hooked up with Pat Knight down at Texas Tech. And Pat brought us, brought me on board as a GA, and, and that was Coach Knight's last year. It was my first year, and then my second year as a GA was uh, – coaches or, or it was pat's first year so and, and met a lot of great people while i was there uh, really became close with chris beard who's now the head coach at uh, at texas tech and and a lot of other people along the way uh, steve green who ended up working for after that after texas tech won three national championships at south plains college um and it's just, it's just been a wonderful journey then i had a chance to come back here to the midwest at uh, at trine where um it was uh it was just a great fit for me. My sister went to school here. She played here, had a really good career, and and it was far enough away from home, but close enough to home. And and I always loved the location here in Angola and the things that they had. And, and we've been here 10 years, my wife and I. She's the vice president of administration. And and I've been going into year 10 here, and, and we're just doing everything we can to to represent this place that we think so highly of.
1: Such a neat journey coach for you to go be an assistant, then back to a GA and an assistant again, and now as a head coach, and I purposely saved this question. I, I really am super genuinely curious about trying University in Angola, Indiana. You know, I knew you just hit on a little bit with your wife working there, but tell us a little bit more about or a lot about your culture there, what you've tried to build there and what makes that university so special to keep you there for 10 years.
2: Well, we, we just have an incredible leadership structure here. Um, our board of trustees, uh, Dr. Brooks, our president, is uh, he's a Tennessee guy, uh, a lot of Southern values there, traditional conservative values, and he, he did he's done an unbelievable job at galvanizing uh, our board and our leadership to uh, the, the growth of our university. I, I don't know if you get a chance to pull up some of our facilities, but we have the nicest small college basketball facility you can find, uh, Division II, three, NAIA, all that, so we're real proud of that. and that, that just came with with the way we do things here. Our athletic director, Matt Land, was the football coach and he hired me and, and uh, one of his assistant coaches uh, was a good friend of mine in college. So that's kind of how I got, uh, um, you know, with an opportunity to, to get here. And then Coach Knight was a part. Uh, he gave a commencement speech here two years before I got the job. So there was a lot of different ties, but uh, really, they let you work here. Uh, they believe in the student athlete. I mean, everything we do is about the student. Uh, there's only four Division III football schools playing football right now, and we're one of them. Uh, we're two and zero, and we just had a game canceled this week for Ohio. We played we're supposed to play a team in Ohio, and they had a travel ban if they came to Indiana, so we didn't get that done. But we've done everything we can to put our student athletes on the field and give them an opportunity to work. Uh, you know, our basketball program. Uh, we have a basketball class, and we've been able to get a lot of stuff done since August. Um, in working and in doing things safely, uh, we started practice on October 1st, uh, getting the team together, and we've been up and down. And we have an exhibition game scheduled for the 24th, and that's all because we got great leadership. We were one of the only schools, I think, in the Midwest to host camps this summer. Uh, we weren't allowed to have the overnight camps that we've had, but it's just a culture of, you know, the, the trust and and the bond that we believe that uh, each and every each and every individual's got freedoms to express and and it's their choice to, to go as long as we do things correctly and safely. And and we're just really proud to be a part of that. Coach, what I I love is I would love to play just
0: your little speech there for uh, not just high school athletes, but high school students in general to realize there are great universities that they've never heard of all across this country that that have great cultures in in the university and uh, like I said there's just millions of these small universities that have these unbelievable cultures and that's so great to hear you. Talk, talk about trying with such passion because uh, I've been to a bunch of these different schools and, and know people that have coached at them and worked at them. And uh, it's just it's, it's a lot of fun to hear that and hear that passion that you have for, for that place. Yeah,
2: when, uh, I went, when I went to Texas Tech. Uh, I really found out a lot about myself and what I was looking for. Steve Green and, and Chris Beard, and, and there was a guy named uh, Coach Les Vertig who worked at Ohio State when they went to those runs with Jimmy Jackson and some of the players they had. I learned a lot from those guys, and the things that they always expressed was it's not about, you know, you know, you want to chase a dream, but it's really about your situation. Uh, you gotta really want to know, understand that you believe in something that you're that you're talking about, that you're expressing. Uh, the people that you worked for believe in you and you believe in them. And, and that's kind of what we found here. And I'm also not naive. I mean, I understand that a change of leadership or a lot of different things could happen. Uh, you know, anything can happen in, in the course of any type of career, but especially coaching. But we're just really proud of it. And we try to make sure that our our student athletes understand that when they step on the floor, they represent more than just themselves. I mean, they represent something really special. Uh, you know, a university that's had a basketball program since the, since 1930, Um, you know, they're they're one of many teams that have put on that jersey and and something that they represent.
0: And coach, I just want to say, uh, I have a division three program up here. We had the coach on, I'm good friends with the coach, uh, Chuck McBreen at Ramapo college, and they have an outstanding facility and I'm looking at yours. Yours is better. (laughs) <laughs> and Ramapo has one, you know, Ramapo has a, a D3 facility that's better than some small D1s. And I'm just yeah. looking here at, at the MTI Center, and I got to tell you, it's pretty sweet looking. <laughs> yeah,
2: we had, uh, T- we have some of the Pacers, uh, we, like I told you in the, in the pre-show, we have a big uh, a lake community up here. So TJ Leaf, who played at UCLA, is with the Pacers. He, he has a friend that lives on one of the lakes up here, and he came and worked out this summer. And he was telling me, he goes, Coach. This is unreal. He goes, our weight room was nothing like this at Pauly. And the one thing I don't know if you noticed from those pictures, but there's no volleyball lines on that floor. It I'm was. Strictly sorry, a- I clicked on the wrong place first, and I saw the volleyball has their own place. They have their own arena, yeah. So. What we've done is we've created an an incredible experience for our volleyball program and development as as well as ours. So anybody that comes to Trine university, even though we're restricted and limited at the division three level, how much we can work with you in the off season, but you have unlimited access to the basketball floor, you know, and volleyball and vice versa. We have our own weight room. We got our own film room that we share with the women's basketball team, of course, but uh, it's it's just a tremendous opportunity to develop and become the best player you can be. We, uh, we hosted a TBT The Texas Tech alumni TBT team two years ago, I was an assistant coach on that team, and we flew all of our players up here, and and we worked out for a week before we went and played in Columbus, Uh, uh, and and they couldn't get over the, the opportunities that we had here at Trine.
1: It really is. It's a gorgeous. I know, Chris. You got a question, but I'll jump in here. Kimmel Arena at USC at UNC Asheville. It's a, a spitting image of that. You know what? I was going to say that,
0: Brian. I was yeah. going to say that. It looks just like it.
1: It's incredible. <laughs> we'll put all that in the show notes here, Coach, for fans to be able to look at that. But it's an absolutely gorgeous arena. Good for you guys, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Coach. Um, tell us a little bit more about. Uh, some of your mentors, you talked a little bit about them I and what they specifically meant to you. What maybe the specific thing you've taken from each one of them?
2: That's well, you know, that's a really good question because I was really fortunate to have the right kind of coach in my life at the right time. I lost my father in high school, and my high school coach became like an uncle and, and an older. Brother to me in a lot of ways, and he was more than that. He was my coach, but he wasn't a guy. He kind of understood what we were going through as a family at the time, and maybe wasn't as demanding as some other coaches, but also nurtured me in 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 other ways. I mean, I was a type of player. I I scored a lot. I, I was a typical small town. Good high school player. I probably averaged 23 points a game, something like that. Called my own timeouts and, and those things, and learned learned that aspect of coaching. And then I went to Toledo and walked on, uh, where I played for one of the best coaches I've ever been around. Tactically was uh, was Stan Joplin, and I don't even think Stan knew my name half the time. I mean, it, it was just kind of comical. I, I got to play in maybe three games that mattered. Uh, we had a really good team. But I, I just remember him, my buddy still joked with me about this. Oh, yeah, Brooks, just, just go somewhere. You know." So that was the kind <laughs> of player I was at Toledo, where I was really hardly even recognized at all. And then I transferred and played for a really successful coach, Ed Dalman, who uh, became a, a, a father figure to me in a lot of ways as well. Um, and I, he just, every chance he got, he was ripping my tail for not doing something correctly, just somebody I never felt like I could please, which at that time is what I needed, um, and really pushed and challenged me to become something better than I was, and, and having an opportunity to work for him was was really remarkable. And then you go to Texas Tech and, and you work for the greatest coach of all time, the winningest coach at that time, in the in all of basketball, and. It was a speak when spoken to. I, I I went from interviewing when when Coach Dalma retired. I was 27 years old. Interviewed for a Division two head coaching job. Was one of three finalists for it, and then I go to uh, Texas Tech and it you know if they say Brooks say hey, the coffee's empty. It was my job to 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 fill it up and make sure we had it and and to be a part of what Coach Coach Knight did. I thought was really remarkable and and then going from with Pat and being around guys like Chris Beard and and Les Fertig and. And uh, some of the players that we had that I learned a lot from with them uh, to go into to work for Steve Green, who was is arguably one of the most successful coaches in all of college basketball. If you look at winning percentage at South Plains College, uh, I just learned so much from those guys. Everything was different. Uh, coach was the little things. Coach Knight was everybody said, well, what did you learn from Coach Knight? Well, I learned how to shot fake. I learned the importance of the jab step in the pass fake. That's what we did. That's how we won games. It was creating angles. It was when the game is equal, how do you beat your opponent? When you have as much talent as they do, what are you going to do differently to win the game? And those things Coach Knight stressed over and over again, and they were extremely simple. Steve Green was just an ultimate – when it came to – Oh, prevention management in junior college, making sure our guys were on the floor and ready to go, uh, which which you think is 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 really simple. And, and my grandparents thought that because they still thought all I did was roll the basketball out and show up. But, but when you're coaching, it's so much more. And I learned I was involved in, uh, you know, in, in everything from recruiting international players to advising, to teaching, to doing everything, laundry. Uh, I think anybody with a junior college background, I, and I've heard Coach Beard say this multiple times out at Texas Tech, if you're going to hire anybody, you hire some, if you have a chance to hire somebody with a junior college background, don't miss that opportunity. And what I mean by that is just the experiences you have that are like no other, because um, you're recruiting people from all over the world, let alone the country.
0: Yeah, Coach. Oh, Coach. Sorry, I was on mute there for a second. Um, I think that I think it can almost be said with with people who have been uh, managers or at real, real small schools. The same thing, like you said, those people that have kind of had to do everything. Um, I do want to go back to Coach Knight. We're going to get into your greatest game here in a minute, but uh, you said. Um, about what the coffee, if the coffee was, is out, it was, you had to fill the coffee. You obviously, uh, we, we got to get your name from Bobby Siegel, a friend of ours, who was a, a GA out there. And, uh, I also knew another guy who was a GA out there who came to work at South Carolina, Steve Portland, but I believe he was there before you, maybe a year before yeah. you were there.
2: Yeah. Was Steve, Steve's mom, was she a coach? Yeah.
0: And Steve and I have been really good friends for 10, 12 years now. And both Bobby and Steve would always tell the, would always tell this sort of story. They said, you know, people were like, What's it like to work for Coach Knight? Does he yell and scream? And, you know, and they were like, Not all the time that he said, but they both said, Every once in a while, it was your day where he would just scream and yell at you. Everything you did that day was wrong. And they were like, And you got over it because the next day, it was okay. He was, you know, you were back in the good graces. But every once in a while, it was just going to be your day. <laughs> yeah. And I
2: you don't understand that until I think you're either a father. Or the head of a company, or a head coach, or in charge of something, because there's just so many things running through your mind that you got to juggle. And, and then sometimes it just takes one little thing. That uh, and you know, coach was uh, coach was really unique, but it was a really unbelievable experience. And and I just remember that uh, I, I did not want to miss a minute where he was with our team. That was my goal, and I had a great – I have a really supportive wife, and we just got married. Like, we got married in Hillsdale, Michigan, and the next day we drove a U-Haul to Lubbock, Texas. And, uh, you know, she was always supportive of me, but I spent every minute I could with that team around Coach because I did not want to miss one interaction that he had with those guys. And it was just – it was a real special time in my life. Oh, that's how you know she was in it for the long haul once she she got into U-Haul the next day, right? I mean, that's (laughs) –
1: might be the best recruiting job of your life there, Coach Miller. I don't
2: know. <laughs> you should meet her. It is. It's, uh, it's going to be hard to top that one. <laughs>
1: well, we've teased a little bit here, so let's go ahead and get into your greatest game, which we mentioned uh, has been mentioned as well, about Coach Knight. So go ahead and take us in the arena and tell us about this incredible greatest game you have for us.
2: Well, I've been pretty lucky. We've been a part of a lot of them as a player and a coach, uh, but I thought this one might be a little more relevant to your uh, your audience Uh, But I was just a graduate assistant. But as a graduate assistant, I got to sit directly behind Coach Knight during games. And I used to always kind of test some of the things I was thinking about our team versus what he would be thinking in terms of who to put in and sub at certain times or maybe what type of motion entries to run or different things that we could do. Um, It it was just an awesome experience. Now, some arenas we played in, you couldn't hear him talk even if you wanted to, even though I was three feet away uh, playing at New Mexico when Coach Alford was there, and a sold-out pit was an, remarkable. Uh, and uh, when we were at Oklahoma State, and it felt like the, the the noise was coming from the floor up when they hit a couple of shots to take lead after we had it. But the but the the best game I was a part of with Coach's 900th win against Texas A&M, and the backstory is is really much more valuable than the game itself. Um, this was really where I found out how much respect I had for preparation uh, when Chris Beard had the scout. I'll never forget. We were coming off that loss to Oklahoma state and we've already lost at centenary at Sam Houston state. This was not a very talented team that we had at Texas tech that year, uh, let alone very experienced. And I remember walking into the film room with the guys and with their notebooks in hand and Chris Beard was running the scout and he looked at everybody. And I've never seen somebody say this so confidently and make everybody else says we play Texas A&M on Saturday or on Wednesday night. And here's how you're going to beat them. And he went through three things. He said, no dunked we are not given any angles in the post and that was the biggest one that i can tell you off the top of my head but he talked about charlie you're going to get the ball up to charlie burgess going to get the ball up the floor as quick as we can uh we're going to play behind these guys in the post we are not giving deandre jordan lottery pick um Donald Sloan, NBA veteran, Joseph Jones and Josh Carter, who were actually all-conference Big 12 players at that time. And then Kirkland, I can't remember Kirkland's first name, but he was the starting point guard. I think he was eventually at least an all-conference Big 12 player in his career. Uh, They were just loaded with talent. They were 15-2. and It was Mark Turgeon's first year. It was the year after Billy Gillespie left. And they were coming in number 10 in the country and we were struggling, but we left that film room going into preparation. I felt like, yeah, he's right. This is, this is how we're going to beat these guys. We're not going to give these guys any dunks and angles. And you should have seen the clips, the individual clips as coaches put up for these. it was incredible. And I'm coming from division two thinking, whoa it's going to be tough for Demir and these guys to handle this. Uh, But we get, so all week long, all we're working on is coach Knight has Trevor cook and Demir. So it's two guys that are about six, seven and six, eight, not very athletic down screening, popping to the elbow and just drive because the only way we're going to beat these guys is if, if their best players aren't on the floor. So we got to get them in foul trouble and all week we worked on. And one of my things, my job as a GA was player development. So even after practice, coach said i want trevor doing a hundred of these each day in the morning and then when he comes back after practice i want a hundred more drives from the elbow so uh long story short that's what we focused on and and that's how we started the game and this is uh, you can go back and you can check the play-by-play at the 1942 mark you'll see foul deandre jordan demir Mm -hmm. suyaji shot fake drive to the baseline and then and he was upset because it was kind of a touch call but i'll tell you Uh, coach, I can, man, I could go on to some coach night and some officiating uh, calls and things (laughs) like that. it was unreal. What coach could do to officials when he was what he wanted to. And we got a call to start the game. And then at the 1929 mark, we got another foul, Deandre Jordan, two fouls. There's 13 NBA scouts sitting behind the, the, the scores row, watching him as a freshman, trying to decide where he's going to go. And he just comes off the floor, arms wailing, flailing around. And, uh, I don't know, I can't even tell you what exactly the game was, but we got up like 10 or 12, I think, as the first half went on with him out of the game. We were able to do a lot of different stuff. They were kind of taking on a rhythm a little bit. Uh, We had a seven-foot Esmir Rizvich who didn't play very much, but when he played, his job was to stay between the post guy and the basket, so he gave Jones some problems. Uh, And Beard had us really prepared how they attack the middle, attack the middle on the post entries. And I remember that was another one of the the three things that we had to do, keep them, the post guys from getting to the middle. And Ish did a good job of that. Um, And I don't remember what the halftime score was. They made a little run to cut it to like five. And then uh, to start the second half, I'm not exactly sure, but I think Jordan got back in there, got a quick bucket. And then he got frustrated and he turned his ankle a little bit and he got frustrated with the fouls and everything else. And, Long story short, with John Dre Jordan, he played 13 minutes, and he was one for two from the field. And the foul trouble, we think, had everything to do, to do with that. Demir Solyajic, who uh, he couldn't have averaged more than five or six points a game that year. He played 28 minutes. He was four for eight with 10 points. And Trevor Cook came off the bench and was five of seven, and he was three of four from three with 14 points. And we won the game uh, 68 to 53. But all week, all we did was pop, shot, fake, drive. Pop, shot, fake, drive. Those were the things we really locked into to get those guys in foul trouble. And then a couple of weeks go by, and we beat Missouri, and, and Coach decides that he's done. So um, after the Missouri loss, Coach resigns. Pat becomes the head coach. And Pat wants to put his own stamp on things, and, and uh, we all respected that. And, and, uh, but we changed a lot. And then, uh, and I'm not saying, I'm not blaming this on Pat. It's going to sound like that. that that's not what I mean. Uh, we just made some adjustments to how we prepared for teams moving forward. And then a couple of weeks later, uh, we go to Texas A&M and we lose 98 to 54, which was a 59 point swing from the first time around. So uh, what I, what I guess what I'm trying to say by that is, is just, it, it matters, you, you know, the little things really make a difference. And that's what I took out of that game. Uh, it was Coach's 900th win, and there was a lot of pressure on him and a lot of pressure on the team, especially a team that didn't have a whole lot of, of, uh, of talent, although we won some big games that year. We also beat, uh, uh, we beat Gonzaga in the Great Alaska Shootout, where we lost to Brad Stevens uh, in Butler, which was Brad Stevens' first year there. And one of the neatest things I saw there was how Brad interacted with Coach after, after he beat us. I thought, you know, the way he carried himself, I remember, because he would—he didn't seem like he was that much older than me, which I don't think he is. And I was really amazed. Uh, and, and then, uh, um, you know, so there was a lot of things that were really special to be a part of, but I, I thought that that experience and seeing how we prepared and the combination of Coach Beard and Coach Knight and now seeing Coach Beard go on to do the things he does um it's just was just I was just really lucky and, and I'm still fortunate usually when our years finished um when coach coach Beard was at Little Rock I, I flew to Denver and hung out with the team when they played uh when they beat uh when they beat who did they beat there in the first round Purdue in the first round there uh, watching him prepare against Purdue was the same thing he did the same way he talked to his players at Little Rock was the same way he talked to that team preparing us for the scout when he was an assistant at Texas Tech and then I was able to follow them the last couple of years at the final four. And then the year before that, when they went to the elite eight. So uh, I just been really fortunate to be around those guys and, and and really try to control the things you can control. And even then it's may not be good enough, you know, but it's just the price of admission. Those are the things that you have to do. And, and we try to get our players to understand that, that these are things that really help prepare you in basketball as a tool moving forward in your lives and at the division three level, how are you going to utilize it? And, and that's uh, that's what we try to remind them of every day. Coach, I want
0: to go back to the game and the, the preparation. You were talking about that film session. Now I don't know if you, if Bobby told you about me or you read a, bit, a little bit about my background. I was the the video coordinator for South Carolina for nine years. So I'm I'm thinking I've got film in my mind. And uh, you talked about some of the clips that Coach Beard put on there. I assume they were of the monster dunks that Jordan and those guys would have. I just want to tell a quick story. And then I'll, I, yeah. we were playing we were playing Tennessee, and they had a guy Marcus Hayslip and yep. Barry Sanders Anderson was doing the scout rose Barry was doing the scout and Hayslip caught a rebound dunk someone he shot it himself from the free throw line and it just hit the back of the rim. It's almost like he did it on purpose, but you know he couldn't have because it hit the back of the rim. He took one step. Caught the rebound with one hand and just dunked it on like the entire Kentucky team. And I remember Barry going, Oh, should we put that clip on there? And I'm like, Yeah, because show our guys what's going to happen if they don't box out. Like, yeah. they're going to be a poster if they don't box this guy out. And so we put it on there. And I remember showing it to the team, and all the guys were like, Whoa.
2: <laughs> it yeah, sounds it like that's true. what Coach Beard did with,
0: with Jordan and those guys sure
2: and, and you know we had the same thing that year with Blake Griffin was in the league and and I remember when we made the adjustment and we we had an opportunity to beat Oklahoma at our place when Pat was the head coach because of Pat and we were we're trying to decide in the film okay here's some clips of us fronting Blake Griffin well that he gets every offensive rebound when you front him well here's a clip of us when we played behind him well he took one or two dribbles and just reached over the top and hammered it through us uh so what what do you do you know execution at that level it not necessarily as valuable as the weapons you got in your arsenal. And we did make some great adjustments uh, to that Oklahoma game. Pat did. And we got ended up getting beat at the buzzer in our place after playing in a close game with coach at Oklahoma. But, but yeah, and, and I think you can coach Beard and coach Knight, you keep it simple with those clips. What was the point? You know, how many, there were so many different things. We, there was only a couple of things we could do. That's it. There's things we would like to be able to do, That we could have showed them, but we had to focus on the things we could do if we had any chance. And that's what coach beard did is the we got to stay between these guys in the basket and know that they want to get to the middle of the floor when they catch the ball in the post. And and those were the the two biggest emphasis that I remember from the defensive end that, that I thought we did an excellent job with obviously holding them to 53 points after that.
1: Some of the quotes here from Coach Knight, looking at an article here from the NABC. Um, <laughs> when asked to succinctly sum up his feelings after the win, Knight said, I'm glad it's over. And then <laughs> this, he, he addresses all 11,000 fans that watched the game and he says, you folks being here comma seats being full for a change really made a difference tonight. I mean, I, I, I just, I, how many people can get away with that? Is it, is it 900 wins? I and mean, this is kind of a question for the group that, yeah, I, I mean, it's unbelievable the things that he's able to say and say, Oh, it's just Bobby Knight. Like, ah, it's just, that's just coach Knight. Like, ah. but if I said that I'm, I mustered out the door by security, I'm done. Like Yeah. You know, right? <laughs> sure.
2: Yeah. And I heard coach say one time he was actually on the phone with with coach Haskins. I was always in the workroom because I was doing something in the workroom. And he'd be in, and every once in a while. I could overhear a conversation. He said, you know, and he, they're running off like play by play stuff from games that happened in the 70s. And and then he said, you know, I'm working my tail off here to try to beat centenary. And, and I know and there wasn't a lot of people at the games. And I think those things kind of frustrated him um, at the time. And and with that article, you could kind of tell with that statement, but, um, you know, he just, it never changed his work. And we did the same stuff, tried to get these guys better at all the stuff they could do. And I remember that crowd, that crowd was very, uh, Very distinctly different from other crowds that we had throughout the year because they were our big rivals and they were obviously ranked tenth in the country. It was a big, it was probably one of those big Wednesday games or something like that on on TV and and uh, but it was it was a great atmosphere and and our players worked so hard um, and they were very in terms of talent. We didn't have anybody go to the NBA in those teams. We had some guys with some great uh, overseas careers, but uh, they they really earned that win. Now, did he say? Does he say anything?
0: special in the locker room after a game like that or is like you said is he just
2: coach night you know he's kind of coach you know i he was really good at limiting what he said until he watched the film that was kind of the take i got um obviously there was a couple of tough losses where there was some frustration that was shown but um you know no more than any other coach would would have had but even after the wins uh i you know i i can remember a little bit it was not praise was not put out a lot uh, because that was the expectation. I think it was more pride in how we played and how they responded to the challenge after coming off a really, we played really well against a good Oklahoma state team on the road that the day before the game before and had an opportunity to win the game. And I think Obi Benello hit six straight threes on consecutive possessions. It was, it was really wild how well they played and ended up uh, going on to beat us that night. And I think it was just a combination of almost relief on coach's part that we were able to still be able to execute something and beat a really good team and and, and knowing how much work it was going to take.
0: Yeah, that's that, that, that sounds like coach. Like you said, more of the pride. But uh, I also like hearing that coaches don't talk a lot after games. I'm not a big talker after games. I hate coaches who talk too much after games.
2: <laughs> yeah, I do too because – they're not listening. They rarely listen anyway. Thank you. You I mean, I'm serious. You know, you only get them and then they're exhausted. And the last thing they want to hear is, you know, and, and I do it too. And I did a lot more when I was younger, just yap and yap and yap, uh, after a game, but now I try to keep it as short as we can. And then, Hey, we'll watch the tape, uh, and, 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 see and go from there. So, um, you know, just things you learn in year 10, as opposed to year one or two. And, uh, you know, it's just everybody's personality. Yeah, you know, like I said, I'm a fisherman, so people kind of fish to their personality. Some guys are really laid back; they like to throw the bobber out there and wait for it to go down. Other <laughs> guys with high anxiety, like myself, I'm reeling in spinner baits and all those type of stuff. To you know, it's the same thing how interact with the team. I think a little bit, but uh, but the intensity with Coach was remarkable. Um, I can't tell you, like when he walked into a room, everybody checked their cell phones to make sure they were all flip phones at that time, made sure they were on silent. Uh, when he came, when he walks into practice and me as a GA, my job was passing. I, I mean, I, we, we would make as GAs. There was two of us. We'd make anywhere from probably 2,500 to 3,500 passes a day, pre-practice and then during practice. And when he walked in there, you did not not hit him in the chest because there was a chance. It was your day, like Bobby said, and he was going to let you know. So, uh, and rightfully so, rightfully so. Our job is to, to get them better. we got to be as focused as they are. And I think that, uh, you know, his combination of, of what he could do, and then when he did talk to you, whether you were a GA, a player, a coach, he made you feel really important. And I think that's an extremely valuable skill when you're one-on-one with someone to make them feel like you're the only thing that matters to them in that moment. I think is really special for any type of leader. Um, he, you know, you try to carry that over into parenting or whatever it is you do. Uh, but it, those were things that I saw from him and Coach Beard in particular that were really, really, uh, really special that you can't duplicate those things, though. I mean, as assistant coaches that go on and try to do stuff to do it like him, you know, we, we run motion here. We run very similar motion to what we had at Texas Tech. Uh, but it's it's not Coach Knight because I'm not him. And, right. and I can never be him. So we have to make adjustments to what we do based on my personality and our staff and then along with the players that we get. So,
0: yeah, no, that's 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 so true. I love hearing about the passing. That's great. Make sure you, you got to hit him in the chest. Yeah. Uh, Coach, we right, like
1: Oh, but, I got to jump in real quick because you're right. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's the passing, but it's also the catching of the passes, you know, sure. Guys coming up the, uh, uh, off from the baseline or whatever. I remember Trey Kelly used to throw the hardest pass ever. My hands would be red at you, know, especially early practices. I wasn't used to it yet, you know. And it's unbelievable how many passes you throw. But I'm just reminded too, going back to episode 35 with Darby Rich, who's at the University of Memphis now, it's their strengthening conditioning coach, talking about just that laser focus that Penny Hardaway has, and it just sounds like just what what, what all the all time greats have, and what Coach Knight has, what you're describing there. So, Chris, just go ahead. I just wanted to jump in real quick on that
0: one. I wanted to say also that I believe leave episode 50 something we're at now that's the first fishing analogy we've had <laughs> Which is terrific yeah. uh especially for a non-fisherman i have no idea what you're talking about but it sounds good <laughs> coach we like to end on this fun question you talk about 10 years of trying university if i talk to a player that played for you 10 years ago and i talk to a player that played for you this past year and I said, what does Coach Miller say over and over again? What's the one phrase he says over and over again? What would they say that phrase is?
2: Keep them out of the middle.
0: <laughs> Keep them okay. out of the middle.
2: Yeah, that, I mean, that's, it's funny. That's a great question. Uh, I actually had a, uh, one of my, the players for my first couple of years at of trying. We won a championship two years ago. And he said, and he told me, and I kind of took this as a compliment. Yeah, our relationship was enough to do that, I guess. And he said, you know, it's been fun watching you evolve as a coach over these last few years. <laughs> you know, And I look back, and there were some conversations him and I had in front of the group that probably could have been avoided uh, at that time. But, you know, that I've learned from myself. So, but no, it, it's, uh, I, I think... You know, I reach back to those older guys. I had one of our former players come back and referee this weekend, our in uh, our inter squad scrimmage. He's an official now, doing really, really well. And, uh, it's it's fun to to figure that out. But yeah, I would think so. I think it would be keep them out of the middle. That would be it's something <laughs> we've always tried to do, and and uh, something we still do today.
1: I love that too, Coach. That you didn't. <laughs> hesitate lots of times when we ask coaches that question it's like oh man it's a great question i don't know i don't know and you write right into it and you keep them out of the yeah. middle i love it, <laughs> I love keep it. it. I
2: Simple. don't don't complicate it don't <laughs> give them too much i can picture you coach to
0: blowing a whistle in practice and being like jim where is the guy he's in the middle and then someone going, keep him out of the middle, coach. Like you know, that's like a-
2: <laughs> that, that's exactly what happens, exactly to the team. Except I don't use a whistle because Coach Knight ever never used a whistle. And I when I got there, I said, Why does he use a whistle? His whistles are for the weak. Now he didn't tell me that, somebody else on staff said that. Oh. So I, I have heard coach say, If you need a whistle to get somebody's attention you don't have very much control. So we, I don't use a whistle and it's out of pride now and maybe uh. wow.
1: I love it. So, all right. So now I've got yeah. a question for you then coach. So what is the, yeah. is it stop? Is it hold it, hold up? What, what stops the action for you in practice?
2: I, I yell whistle. So I say like, whistle. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> did
1: not see that one coming Blasio. I, I did not no. either. <laughs> I love it though. I love it Well, uh, Trine University on Twitter at Trine Thunder MBB we were talking before the show that, that started running across our timeline y'all doing great things at promoting your guys you get to see some great video from practice and see that beautiful MTI Center uh, Brooks Miller can't thank you enough for coming on the greatest games it's been a lot of fun
2: Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I had a blast
1: myself. I tell you what, we will, like I said, we'll link a lot of this stuff in our show notes for our fans, but let's go ahead and put a button on this one here. So for my co-host, Chris de Blasio, I am Brian Rosefield, and thank you for listening to this episode of The Greatest Games.